turn to the um, uh, Christmas portion of God's Word, Matthew chapter 1, within God's Word. Matthew chapter 1, within God's Word this morning. A multi-multi-millionaire who had won his riches through alligator farming. He owned a huge alligator farm in Orlando, Florida. He wanted to marry off his daughter, so he threw a huge party, a huge gala at his house. But in the swimming pool, he crammed it full of gators. And he made this announcement. For the first man, the first guy that swims the length end to end of this swimming pool of gators, I will either give you $1 million immediately or my daughter's hand in marriage and you'll eventually inherit all of my fortune. The words had barely gotten out of his mouth. Splash! A young man hit the water. He was swimming, swimming terrifically like an Olympic swimmer. The jaws of those gators were snapping shut on empty space all around as the boy dodged the gators and made it from one end of the pool to the other. As he got out, uh, the multimillionaire congratulated him and said, I, I thank you. Uh, wow, what a feat. What will your decision be? Million dollars or my daughter's hand in marriage? Uh, the young man said, uh, uh, breathily, pantily, he said, I don't want your money and I don't want your daughter. I want to know who was that guy that pushed me in the pool? We're closing up the year with a sermon series where we've discovered that the most prevalent picture that we have in the Bible of our relationship with Jesus is not one of master and slave, king and subject, judge or defendant. It's not even father and child. The most prevalent picture that the Lord uses to describe his love for us is that of marriage, bride, and bridegroom. The Lord has chosen the most intimate, the most loving of relationships to define His relationship with us. So we've entitled our series, Lover. Lover. And we've been exploring the amazing, incredible parallels between the ancient Jewish wedding customs and our own relationship with the Lord. And that's where we're going again this morning as we reveal to you another amazing parallel between the ancient Jewish wedding and our relationship with Jesus. This morning, I share a word with you called overcomers. Father, in the name of Jesus, come Holy Spirit. Anoint this word. Anoint your servant. Anoint, O Lord, every ear that we might hear what the Spirit is saying in this hour. In the name of Jesus, amen. The powerful parallel 
Read with me from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed. Will you circle that word betrothed? To Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Another word for that is what? Divorce. Very good. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your what? She was already his wife. Circle that. That's important to understand. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. The ancient Jewish wedding consisted of three, three, write that down, main stages. The arrangement stage, the betrothal stage, the consummation stage. We've learned in here very briefly, very quickly, the arrangement stage was where the parents arranged the marriage of their children. The betrothal stage, far more serious than our engagement stage. When the bride and the bridegroom were betrothed in ancient Jewish times, they were legally and literally married, husband and wife. This is where we find Joseph and Mary at the betrothal stage in the Christmas story. They drank of the cup of covenant. She was water baptized in the mikvah, totally immersed in water. But after the ceremony, the betrothal ceremony, they're separated for 12 months. He returns to his father's house to make preparations to build an abode, a habitation, a house for his bride to make sure all the financial arrangements are ready before the consummation of the marriage. And then at an hour that the bride expects but does not know exactly the moment. At the midnight hour, at a nighttime hour, the cry goes forth in the village where the bride would live. She would hear the call. Behold, the bridegroom comes. The father had set the appointment. He releases the son to bring back The bride, they enter into the bridal chamber, the honeymoon suite. There the marriage is consummated. And then they enter into the wedding reception, the wedding feast. I hope you see the salvation parallel. God has arranged a marriage for His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The Son has left heaven's glory to gain a bride. He came as a little baby laid in a Bethlehem manger. 
And then was laid upon a cross where He shed His blood that paid the price for your sins. But more than that, His blood, His shed blood paid the price. The dowry price. He purchased us as His bride. We are not our own, the Bible says. We have been bought with a price. We are the bride and He is the bridegroom, the lover of our soul. The night before Jesus' death, Jesus said these words, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go there to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. I will come again. We're at that stage right now. We're seeing more signs of the times fulfilled in our generation than any other generation. We don't know the exact moment, but we're expecting that at any time, any moment, any second, the eastern skies will unzip and we will hear a shout, Behold, uh, the bridegroom is coming! And he'll snatch us away, his church, back to his father's house. That catching away is called what? The rapture of the church. Very good. Very good. And like the ancient Jewish marriage feast, we're going to have a wedding reception with Jesus in heaven called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Can you write that down? The marriage supper of the Lamb. A little girl was going to a wedding with her mommy. And as she looked at the beautiful bride and handsome groom, she said, Mommy, Mommy, why is the bride dressed in all that white? The mom whispered to her, Well, a bride wearing white means happiness. This is the happiest day of her life. Well, Mommy, Mommy, Why then is the groom wearing black? I gave that little joke to perk your interest in something. I want you to circle a phrase in the next scripture we're looking at. Revelation 19.8 Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him for the marriage of the Lamb is come. Who's the Lamb? Jesus. And his wife, who's the wife? The church hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in what? Underscore it, highlight it, circle it, fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he said unto me, right blessed are they that are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. There you have it. The fine white linen represents the righteousness of God, a complete cleansing, 
through Jesus' shed blood for you and I. I want to remind you, you and I are not cleansed from our sins by our good works, our good deeds, our good intentions. You are not cleansed from your sins by water baptism. You are not cleansed from your sins because you attend so-and-so church. You are not cleansed from your sins because you've traveled to a shrine and you've kissed the big toe of St. Peter's statue. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. Amen. What's our bridegroom's plan for us then? What do bridegrooms and brides usually do right after the wedding reception? What is our bridegroom's plan for us, his bride, the church? Uh, It's not a honeymoon cruise. His plan isn't some white picket fence, a cottage on a hilltop. His plan for his bride is not to give her a charge card to Macy's and go, charge! Here's his plan. And this is where we're going today. Right after the marriage supper of the Lamb, His plan for us is to give us, His bride, a heavenly war horse, a sword, and armor equipping us for battle because we have a new title. We are His warrior bride. What? Say, what preacher? What are you talking about? After the rapture, what is taking place on planet earth? The Bible says that literal hell on earth is breaking out. It's called the great tribulation. The Bible says it will be the worst seven year period in all human history. And accentuating that will be the first world dictator, the future Fuhrer, the Antichrist, the beast, 666. The Antichrist will be so consumed with pride because he's so possessed by Lucifer, by Satan, that he will literally take on the challenge of battling the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords himself. The Bible clearly delineates that he'll gather all the military might of the world. He will harness all the nuclear forces of the world and take on he who is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. What battle is this? The battle of all battles. The most decisive battle of all time and history. What battle is this called? Even the world knows the name of this battle. The mother of all battles. What battle am I talking about? Armageddon. And in that twilight zone hour when all seems lost. uh, In Revelation 19 we read, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. No one will have to lift up a weapon. 
he will just speak a word. And the Bible says that the Antichrist and his henchmen, the false prophet, will be thrown alive into the lake of fire. And the enemies of God will be immediately defeated as Jesus just speaks a word. Now, my point is this. Look here at this passage. Who are the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, who followed him on their own white horses? Who are these? Are these the angels, the cherubim, the seraphim of heaven? Who are these that accompany our Lord as warriors in their own right? Who? The church. The bride of Christ. You've got it. You've got it. So what message here is the Lord wanting our spiritual ears uh, to be attuned to? What is the Lord trying to reveal to us here? The main message that the Lord reveals to us as a warrior bride is that we are called to spiritual warfare. Write it down. Our Lord's timeless plan for His believer is, is to be victors and not victims in spiritual warfare. To know that we are called to be overcomers. Overcomers. Seven times. Seven times. The book of Revelation reveals that only overcomers will be the bride of Christ. Only overcomers will enjoy eternal life. I don't have time to read all seven verses. Let me read just the first one. Revelation 2.11 He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The overcomer's intelligence of the enemy. Any military expert will reveal to you that if you go to war, you need to know who your enemy is and what your enemy is. It is 50% of winning the victory. Intelligence of the enemy. I want to remind you, my dear Lakeside family, Satan is not some mythical, fantastical, fictionalized character of Halloween in red tights, horns, and a tail. Satan is real. Satan is real. A real Satan wrote the dark side of the Christmas story. You might not want me to talk about it. You might not want to think about it because you want a a cheery, merry Christmas. But there's a dark side to the Christmas story that the Bible reveals. It was satanic influence, satanic oppression, maybe even possession, that caused King Herod, that homicidal, paranoid maniac, to hiss with the three wise men. When you have found the Christ child, come back and report to me his location that I may also go and worship Him. 
But God, in a dream, warned the wise men to go home a different route and bypass Herod because of what Herod was planning to do. God warned Joseph, the legal father of Jesus and Mary, to escape to Egypt because of what Herod was planning to do. And when Herod found out that the wise men had not returned and he could not locate the Christ child, the Bible sadly, tragically reports that Herod, in a paranoid, uh, homicidal uh, uh, mindset, went forth and slaughtered over 30 baby boys seeking to kill the Christ of Christmas. Satan was trying to thwart the saviorhood and the lordship of Jesus Christ even before Jesus began his earthly ministry. Satan is real. A real Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. A real Satan attacked Job's finances, his business, his health, his family. A real Satan uh, possessed Judas. A real Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. And a very real Satan will possess the Antichrist in the last of the last days. I'm convinced a very real Satan has deceived these United States of America and our X-rated perverted culture. And some are fighting a very real Satan, even as I speak, in your marriages, in your families, in your businesses, in your ministry, and even in your church. Ah, pastor, come on. There's no occultic activity going on in my home. Hey, write it down. One of the enemy's greatest deceptions is getting us to believe his only activity is among those dabbling in the occult. If you have that naive notion, your Bible theology has been more weaned on Hollywood movies that depict Satanism as only being black robes, candles, chanting, and pentagrams. And that's, the, that's what subsists and consists of your Bible theology. Listen, that naivete being that sort of naive Christian will make you vulnerable for the enemy to come in under the radar and wreak destruction upon your life and your dear relationships. Jesus says he's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. I'm often asked as a pastor, we're often asked as pastors, how do I detect, how do I discern satanic activity, satanic attack, satanic manifestation in my relationships? I want to give you five, five points here this morning. You see, it's vital in any warfare that we gain intelligence of the enemy. We discern the devil's attacks by the titles, the titles. 
given him in the Bible. His titles reveal his methodology and strategy for attacking our lives and our vital relationships. The Bible, write it down, reveals Satan as the ultimate rebel. Rebel. Lucifer rebelled against God. The first sin was committed where? Not in the Garden of Eden, in heaven. Pride filled the heart of Lucifer. He rebelled against God. And he led a rebellion. One third of the angels went with him. Don't tell me God doesn't know about or understand rejection. Don't tell me God doesn't understand your feelings of betrayal. God knows all about it. Lucifer, the first rebel. A rebel, by definition, is one who always, always, always finds fault with righteous delegated authority. Rebellion against God's righteous delegated authority in the marriage, in a family, in a church, is satanic. The Bible says in 1 Samuel, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Witchcraft is bound up in three rebellion-laden sins. Manipulation, intimidation, domination. Anytime we are in rebellion against God's word, God's will, and God's ways for our lives, we enter into league in partnership with Satan, the ultimate rebel. The bottom line is this. You are either under God's righteous delegated authority or you're acting under the authority of the prince of darkness. You're either a slave to Satan or you're a child of God, a bride of Christ. The Bible reveals Satan as the God of this age, the God of this age. This speaks of the enemy's controlling influence upon our culture, upon spheres of relationship within society. I want to ask you a question. Are you dealing with a controlling spirit? Are you dealing with a controlling spirit? Many are living with controlling spirits. A controlling spirit manifests itself either through bad moods, pouting, waterworks, tears, shouting. For instance, the little lady, the little lady of the house, lets the man know that if he will do what she wants him to do, the bedroom was going to come alive tonight. But if he doesn't do what she wants him to do, it's going to be colder than the freezer and the fridge. Many times I have to deal with our men with a controlling attitude and a spirit, one that is manifested through shouting, door slamming, fist pounding, a controlling attitude that says, it's going to be my way or the highway. That's the work of hell. It's satanic. It's satanic. It's a controlling spirit. The Bible reveals Satan as the tempter. The tempter. The tempter. Don't tell me you're above temptation. The most perfect person that has ever lived, Jesus, was tempted. A couple, a couple, husband and wife, 
They were the same age. They were both 60 years of, of age. In fact, their birthday, their 60th birthday was coming up. And since their, their birthday dates were so close together, they, they said, let's celebrate just one big birthday instead of two parties. And so they set the candles on the cake. They lit the candles. And, and just before they blew them out, the wife suggested, let's make a wish. Just before they made the wish, poof, an angel appeared. The angel said, I've been sent to grant each of you your own wish. The wife said, well, I've always wished that uh, we could have a world cruise. Cruise the world. Poof. Tickets for two, husband and wife. World cruise. The husband, on the other hand, he thought and he thought and he looked at his wife, his 60-year-old wife, and he thought, you know, the, the old gray mare ain't what she used to be. And with a sly smile on his lips, he looked at the angel and he said, this 60-year-old man, he said, you know, I'd like to be married to a woman 30 years younger than me. Poof! He was made 90 years of age. Ninety years of age. Are you in a relationship with someone or something which has become an instrument of temptation for the enemy? Someone or something that is tempting you to compromise, to walk away from God's word and God's will and God's ways. Somebody to, to, to tempt you to go A-W-O-L and drop out of the race of faith? Are you in relationship with someone that is always tempting you to turn your back on God's house? Turn your back upon God's word. Turn your back upon God himself. I want you to know that's satanic. That's satanic. The Bible reveals Satan as the consummate slanderer or accuser. Revelation 12.10, he's known as the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before our God 24-7. Are you in a relationship? Are you in a sphere of life and living where there's verbal abuse going on? There's denigrating, demeaning speech going on. Cut downs on a constant basis. Maybe it is spoken by others. Maybe it is spoken by you to yourself. I want you to know that does not come from God. That spirit is not authored by God. A denigrating, slanderous, accusing spirit is authored by who? Bingo. That's right. The Bible reveals Satan as the father of lies. Jesus himself called Satan the father of lies. Again, this discloses the enemy's strategies and methodologies. Do you have someone in your life, someone in your sphere of relationships that is living a double life? They say one thing and they do another. I usually find deception involves, in most instances, either one of two things or both. Money and sex. Money and sex. 
Deception. Spirit of deception. Know it for what it is. A deceiving spirit. And it's satanic. Do you want to hear good news in this Christmas season? You want to receive some good news? Uh, Overcomers are victors. And they're not victims. The Lord isn't calling us to be overcomers when we get to heaven. He's calling you and I to be overcomers in the here and now. So we'll be overcomers throughout the hereafter. As our Lord's warrior bride, you've been given holy weapons. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The Bible reveals there's many spiritual weapons, but I'm going to reveal what the Bible reveals as four main spiritual weapons here this morning that enable and equip you and I to be overcomers. First of all, you can be an overcomer by putting on the breastplate of God's approval every single day. Years ago, I counseled a young lady whose father years ago when she was a child and they would have to dump their trash at the village junkyard. She went with her daddy in the pickup truck to the town junkyard and she was out there playing in the junk All of a sudden, she sees her daddy pulling away in the pickup truck. He rolls down the window and says, Hey, honey, welcome to your new home. And he drove away. And he drove around the block, came back. Ha, ha, ha. I was just joking. That joke ended up becoming scar tissue upon her heart and her memory. For the rest of her life, thank God, she now remembers with release what that father did to that girl, his daughter, is exactly the strategy of the enemy in your life and my life to make us feel like junk, to make us feel like stinking garbage, to put it bluntly. This is the devil's plan. For you, your children, for our loved ones, our significant others, for countless Christians. See, countless Christians allow the devil to do it. They allow the devil to do it. Even though God has forgiven their past. Even though God has forgotten their sins. Even though they've been given a clean slate in Jesus Christ. They keep going back to the junkyard. They keep going sitting with the the garbage, the stinking garbage, because they've adopted stinking thinking. They keep going back to what God has forgiven and forgotten and embracing the garbage of the past. God has forgiven them, but they can't forgive themselves. And so they daily rehearse in their minds their mistakes, their failings, their flaws, their, their, their sins of the past. They let the enemy victimize them by living in yesterday's regret and guilt. That's why, that's why, that's why we need to put on a specific piece of armor every day. That's why we need to put on the full armor of God, but especially the breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians 6.14, you will need 
The Bible says the breastplate of righteousness in place. What is righteousness? Righteousness is right standing with God. It means God is jazzed with you. It means God is just tickled pink with you. It means God just so is so pleased with you. It means God's approval, as many of our Bibles translate it. It's the breastplate of God's approval. The Bible says that we as Christians, the bride of Christ, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah! The breastplate of God's approval. The moment you turned your life over to Jesus is the moment you became the righteousness of God. You see, you know how this works? Over and over again, we hear in the Bible, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, they are a brand new person. Old things have passed away and all things have become fresh and new. Over and over again, we hear in the Bible, in Christ Jesus, as your life is hidden in Christ Jesus, and God the Father looks down upon you, He doesn't see your past. He doesn't see your sins. He doesn't see your mistakes and your failings. All He sees is Jesus all over you. And that's why the Father can say, This is my child in whom I am well pleased. Enjoy my approval. Bride of Christ, you need to move into that. Stop taking inventory of everything wrong in your life. Stop opening up the door to your life to the accuser of the brethren. Stop overanalyzing your, your faults and declare God's approval in you because of Jesus. And you'll move in freedom, in spiritual authority, in God confidence as his warrior bride. But this doesn't happen automatically. Every morning... Every morning, every morning, no matter, no matter how you feel, uh, no matter what you may uh, have done wrong in the past or just uh, 12 hours ago, just as you put on a warm coat in the wintertime, every morning, put on the breastplate of God's approval. Hallelujah. Get up every morning and say, Lord, I thank you for your approval of me and that you are pleased with me. I thank you that I'm your workmanship. I thank you that I'm a work in progress. I thank you I'm not what I used to be, but I'm not yet what I'm going to be. I thank you, Lord. I'm not what my past says I am. I'm I'm not what my sins say I am. I'm not what old slew foot the devil says I am. I'm what you say I am. I'm a born again, blood washed, Bible believing, demon fighting soldier of the cross. I'm a king's kid and I'm on my way to heaven and the best is yet to come. There it is. Put on God's approval. Put on God's pleasure each and every day. You can be an overcomer by declaring the Word of God. Revelation 12, 11, They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the Word of their testimony. This Word of your testimony business, this is not retelling how you were saved. 
your own salvation story. This is making His Word your Word. This is where the power comes. This is where spiritual authority comes. This is where you need to read this Word every morning. Your first stop each day needs to be this Word. Study it. Meditate upon it. Memorize the promises, the power promises of God's Word each and every day. Ephesians 6.17 The Bible says, Take the sword of the Spirit, warrior bride, which is the Word of God. Jesus left us the best example possible. When Jesus confronted Satan for the very first time, and Satan tried to tempt him to go A-W-O-L in his earthly ministry, Satan, when he came on and attacked Jesus, did Jesus say, Hey, buddy, don't you know who I am? I'm the Son of God, King of kings and Lord of lords. Did Jesus do that? No, Jesus did what you and I can do. Jesus left us a model, an example, a paradigm. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is written, thou shalt not tempt or test the Lord thy God. It is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and worship him alone. Then I like this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. Then the devil left him. (laughs) I like that. And that's what you need to see happen in your marriage, in your family. Declare the word. Declare the word. You've tried your own word. You've tried nasty words, bitter words, resentful words, complaining words, cursing words. And what has it got you? It's got you hell. You need heaven in your home. You need heaven in your marriage, heaven in your relationship. Speak His anointed, appointed word. Speak a rhema word. Ephesians six seventeen that was given to us. That is that that word W O R D is a spoken word. It's a declared word. It's a stated word. It's a verbalized, vocalized word. It's not the printed page. When you come across a problem like sickness, you need to look up in the Bible. Well, what does God say about sickness? My Bible and your Bible says, by His stripes we are healed. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Now speak that. Because Jesus said, speak to your mountain and it shall be moved. There's something about confessing it out of your mouth that brings spiritual reality in the warfare of our lives. Amen. Next, fill in the blank if you would. Fill in the blank with us. You can be an overcomer through praise. Through praise. Through praise. It's the enemy's desire that when troubles come, that you'll voice worry, complaint, and fear. Why did God, why did God, why did God keep the best from His people after they wandered through the wilderness? After they traveled to the promised land. Why did God draw a line and say, you're not going in. You're not, I purposed this for you. I destined you for promised land living. But you're not going to enjoy it. Why? Was it because of their sexual sin? And they were guilty of sexual sin. Terrible sexual sin. No. Was it because of their idolatry? Because they were guilty of worshiping the golden calf. Was it because of that? No. What kept them out of the promised land? Complaining. 
In fact, you can read in Numbers 14, God kept count. God said, ten times, ten times, this people have complained against me. And they have said, I have heard them. God has brought us to this place to kill us. God has brought us here so that we may die. Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Now listen to what God says in Numbers 14. I have heard what they have said. And what they have said, it shall surely happen to them. God basically said, you said it. You receive it. You confessed it. You possess it. You named it, so now you've got to claim it. You blabbed it, now you're going to grab it. Yeah. Watch out for your words. If you want to worship Satan, then complain. Voice worry. Oh, woe is me. It's, it's all going down the tubes. There's no hope. All I see is darkness. You've just worshipped Satan. You have. He thrives on that. But when you run in, when you run into a storm, when you run into a giant, when you run into a mountain, when you run into the vicissitudes, the problems, the difficulties of life, and lift up your hands in your midnight hour and begin to praise He who is the mountain mover, praise He who is the giant killer, when you begin to praise Him who can still the storm, hallelujah, the devil's allergic to praise and worship. They just discovered that I'm allergic to newsprint. Not just pollen, molds, and mites. I'm now allergic to newsprint. Yeah, but old Slewfoot, he's allergic to praise and worship. If he's bringing on the pressure in your life, attacking your life, then just lift up your hands uh, in your midnight hour. That's what Paul and Silas did. They worshiped the Lord in that Philippian dungeon at the midnight hour. And then God sent an earthquake and set them free. Hallelujah. Old Slewfoot will lift off the pressure when he sees that his pressure is producing praise. He's a allergic to your praise and to my praise. The Bible says in Psalms 149, let the high praises of God be in their mouth to bind their kings with chains, their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all the saints. Praise ye the Lord. God wants us to know that praise and worship are not just an expression that delights his heart, but your praise is a spiritual weapon that has a mighty power and authority in the dark places, the storms, the attacks within your life. Lastly, you can be an overcomer by praying, by praying, by praying in the name of Jesus. The prophet Isaiah prophesied and said, 750 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah prophesied, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. He ain't going to be no wimp. He's going to be king of kings. And his name will be called Wonderful. Say it with me. Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you know what's included in the name of Jesus? 
Do you know what's involved when you invoke the name of Jesus as his warrior bride? That name is supernaturally, stupendously wonderful. It is a name that is latent with spiritual power and authority to allow you to move uh, in dominion uh, and victory in His name. Jesus Himself said in John 14, and I will do whatever you ask in My name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask Me for anything in My name and I will do it. Does that mean you can ask for a brand new Lincoln Navigator to pull up into your garage? Huh? No. When you pray in the name of Jesus, you are always praying according to God's Word, His will, and His ways. What's ever promised you in this book, you can expect when you pray in the name of Jesus. Don't tack on the name of Jesus to your prayers as some magical formula or recipe. The sons of Sceva tried doing that. Remember the story in the Bible of the sons of Sceva? Seven, seven Jewish sorcerers in Acts chapter 19. And they wanted to cast a demon out of a person. You can read this story when you go home. Acts 19. And they came. They thought, we're going to try an experiment. We haven't tried this one before. We're going to use that name we've been hearing about. And so they went up to the demon-possessed man and they said, Demon, we cast you out in the name of Jesus who the Apostle Paul preaches. And the demon retorted back, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? And the demon came out and completely beat them up, bloodied them out. Two of them, the Bible reports, were stripped of their clothes. They were the first streakers and went running across town. Yes. Just using the name of Jesus, just anybody using the name of Jesus, does not mean power and authority. It's not enough to know about Him. You need to know Him intimately. You need to be His bride. You need to be born again so that when you pray, you can pray with authority, God confidence in the name of Jesus. Listen, when we pray in the name of Jesus, uh, mountains move, strongholds are pulled down, His light invades darkness. We move in spiritual authority, dominion and power. Praying in the name of Jesus is praying with so much expectation. I said praying in the name of Jesus is praying with so much God confidence. It's like taking the tartar sauce. It's like taking the tartar sauce. It's like taking the tartar sauce when you go fishing for Moby Dick. You just know that you know that you know that God somehow, some way, is going to make a way where there seems to be no way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praying in the name of Jesus. The first time, the first time, the first time he came, he came as a little baby, laid in a Bethlehem manger, surrounded by pigs, goats, 
donkeys. But the next time he comes, he'll be riding a milk-white stallion, thundering through the clouds of heaven in triumph and in victory. The first time he came, he was nailed to an old rugged cross. And they jeered him and ridiculed him and they spat upon him and they plucked his beard out. The next time he comes, he's going to step foot first on the Mount of Olives. And he's going to walk into the White House. Uh, He's going to walk into Congress, the Senate. He's going to walk into the United Nations and declare, I'm in charge now. And we'll rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Hallelujah. Listen, old Slewfoot, the devil, might seem like uh, he's writing history now, but sooner rather than later, he's going to be history. I said, he's going to be history. I've read the end of the book. I said, I've read the end of the book. It doesn't end in a whimper. It ends in a roar. We're on the winning side. We're victorious. The warrior bride as overcomers. Hallelujah. How about it? How about it? There's no sense giving room for a loser. The record of the enemy, he was kicked out of heaven in the beginning, and in the end, he'll be thrown in the lake of fire forevermore. He's been a loser from day one. Don't let him have entrance into your home. Your marriage, your family, your life, any sphere of your influence. Don't be a naive Christian. When you know you're encountering spiritual resistance in the name of Jesus. And he'll make a way where there seems to be no way. Stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. 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 Sing it with us this morning. Sing it with us this morning. Cindy, lead us in it. To worship you. Hallelujah. Worship in spirit and truth. Let our hearts be in shepherd of this flock I love them desperately and I pray your protection your sweet presence upon them I pray your best for their precious lives and Lord I'm keenly aware that the enemy is attacking many 
And even right now, Lord, tear down the strongholds. Not some other place, not some other time. Now, here, at this moment, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. How many, how many are here this morning? And with an upraised hand, you would say, Pastor, I now understand that I'm encountering satanic resistance, satanic attack, satanic activity. If that is you, just lift up your hand right now because you're a candidate for a miracle. You're a candidate for a miracle. You're a candidate for a miracle. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. You may put those hands down. I'm going to ask for deacons and their wives, pastors and their wives, elders and your spouses. I'm going to ask for our lay ministers come to this altar right now. Immediately, please. Please, come, come, come. Thank you, thank you. Come, please, come. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. God has put servants in His church. He's put elders, deacons, pastors as leadership. He's placed lay ministers as servants to pray in the name of Jesus for breakthroughs. We're going to sing that chorus again. If you lifted up your hand, and if you know that you know that you know that there's power and authority in the name of Jesus, I want you to come on down and begin to receive prayer, receive ministry. Elders, deacons, pastors, lead out in prayer. Lay ministers, support in prayer. Come right now. Come right now. If you raised your hand, come, come, come.